0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, in these next few moments that we have together, I want to encourage you to plant your life in Jesus. We believe that as you do that, you are going to flourish. Over the course of this series, we're going to look at how God has created you and redeemed you and anointed you to flourish in him and in the body of Christ. As I mentioned last week, if you want to follow along with us in the book, as we walk through this series together, you can go to our website, CourageousChurch.com flourish, where we've posted a link to where you can actually go ahead and purchase your own copy of the book. If you have your Bibles today, go with me to the book of Psalms. That's right. We're going to start right there in the book of Psalms, chapter 92, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the NKJV. This is the text that we'll be working from, and here's what it says. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Well, what does it mean to flourish, and how has God designed us to do that? Taking our cues from the scriptures, and like Pastor Lee pointed out during the first week of our series, God has designed us to flourish in the right kind of environment that he created us for. We believe this. We believe that God has created us as a people to flourish, meaning to thrive, to grow, to prosper, to overcome, to advance. And we believe that means we're called to a purpose-filled and meaningful life, because the truth is... We all want our life to matter, don't we? Absolutely, we do. And that begins by understanding how God has designed us to flourish. Well, today we're gonna continue our time with a message I'm calling, Anointed to Flourish. I wanna talk to you about the anointing of God. Maybe you've heard that term thrown around before. And I wanna talk about how God wants you to grow and thrive in anointed areas that he's called you to, both as an individual and corporately as the church. Today, we're going to explore different kinds of anointings that we see throughout scripture and why they're important for us in our lives today. To begin, what is the anointing of God and what do we mean when we talk about the anointing? Well, simply put, the anointing is the pouring out of God's presence, power, and favor to give us supernatural empowerment to accomplish His purposes. Can I repeat that? It's the pouring out of God's presence, power, and favor to give us supernatural empowerment to accomplish His purposes. When we talk about someone being anointed, we often associate that to mean someone who is talented or really gifted. And we usually see it as an individualistic or practical manner. Most of the time when we talk about the anointing, we associate that with a special touch upon something or someone. Whether it's a sermon, uh, whether it's a preacher, a worship leader, or even a special service, we understand that anointing to be localized. But hear me on this. The anointing also has a bigger, more corporate component that is seldom referred to, taught, or understood, and I actually want to help us understand that today. It's in that direction that I want to lead us. But first things first, let's look at what the scriptures actually say about the anointing. The Bible almost always connects the idea of anointing with oil. The actual word used in the Hebrew scriptures for anoint or anointed means to smear or to pour over with oil. We actually alluded to this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Jacob pouring out his oil at Bethel. It's also the base word for where we get the term Messiah from, which means the anointed one. In this sense, the Messiah is the anointed one or the chosen one of God. And why oil what makes oil so significant well oil is a physical expression of a transference of spiritual authority and power can I repeat that oil is a physical expression of a transference of spiritual authority and power it was used all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures to consecrate or set apart those things and people that were designated for the Lord's house and for his special purposes we see this concept play out actually in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 10 through 12. It says this, then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it. And he consecrated them and he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the basin and its stand. And he did so to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. It's amazing. The anointing oil was also poured over the heads of kings, such as in the case of David by the prophet Samuel. Samuel did this to indicate that David was actually God's choice to be the leader over his people, over Israel. And he did this to contrast it with the people's choice, Saul. First Samuel chapter 16 says this, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, meaning David, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward." Now, there's a few points of interest for here that I want to quickly point out to us. Notice that when Samuel anointed David, he did it differently than he did with Saul. In David's case, it says that Samuel took a horn of oil, as opposed to a flask of oil that he used earlier in anointing Saul. And why did he do this? Well. A flask is a man-made object used to carry the anointing oil, just like Saul was a man-made leader. He was everything that the people of Israel wanted in a king. Outwardly, he was impressive. He was handsome and tall and really charismatic, but inwardly, he was corrupt and insecure. Even more interesting, Saul was the people's choice, not God's. He was a mere reflection of their own carnality and their own insecurity. Remember, God did not initially want a man or a king to rule over the people. God wanted to do that himself. But the people wanted a ruler after the patterns of the world. They looked to the world and to the culture around them for their cues. And to this point, I, I want to caution us right now to be careful that we don't do the same. It's important that we remember as the people of God that no matter what the world is up to, or how we see things play out around us, we are called to heed and to follow the word of the Lord. Romans 12, 2 reminds us of this. Verse 2, it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In contrast to the man-made flask, Samuel used to anoint Saul, the horn of oil used in David's anointing was not made by human hands. The horn was crafted by God's design. It was taken from the ram itself, an animal that God created. Just as the Lord at creation formed every part of that animal uniquely to reflect his artistry and wisdom, he uses the anointing to enhance the unique design for each person that it now comes upon. So when Samuel uses a horn full of oil, it's a picture of God's sovereign choice of David to set him apart for his purposes. That's, in fact, what the word consecrate means, to set it apart, to sanctify it for a special purpose. And that's the whole point of the anointing. This is further developed when we read that the Holy Spirit rushed upon David from that moment forward. I mean, how amazing is that? Those words were not written about Saul at his anointing. And David would not have been able to do much, if not most, of what he was able to do without the Holy Spirit's help or divine empowerment in his life. It's also important to note that when we talk about the connection between the physical manifestation or the the pouring of oil upon someone and the presence and power and purpose of God, that we don't think that one always guarantees the other. Meaning this, it's actually possible to go through the motions externally, but not have a corresponding empowerment of God's favor spiritually or internally. The contrast between man's pick of Saul and God's pick of David makes this point abundantly clear. It's also important to note that it isn't the oil itself that makes something holy or acceptable. It's God's hand upon that thing that makes it holy and acceptable. It's the purpose and providence of God that intersects with what he chooses that makes all the difference in the world. In just a few moments, we're going to talk about three dimensions of the anointing that I believe God has chosen and designed for us, that's right, you and me, to operate in. And lastly, before we do, I want to point out to us that although God had chosen and anointed David to represent him as a leader before the people, David had also cultivated a heart that was not only sensitive to receive this calling, but also willing. And this is super important for us to understand, meaning you can be really called of God and not willing. You can be favored and graced to do something and still choose to sit on your hands or do nothing at all. And unfortunately, that's where many people choose to remain within the body of Christ today. Tragically, that's how... Many Christians even live their lives. But that doesn't have to be your reality. Hear me today. And that's why I want to help you. The key is that you and I actually respond to God's grace on our lives and learn how to walk it out. So let's talk about it. How do we do that? How do we walk that out? As I said, I want to look at three dimensions of the anointing that I believe we are called to live in and respond to every day of our lives. The first dimension of the anointing is what we call the individual anointing. An individual anointing is simply recognizing that every born-again Christian has received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and is grafted into the body of Christ, into the anointed one. This gives us access to the same anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had in the flesh. How awesome is that? This reality itself should astound us, if not leave us utterly amazed at what God has done, in and through his son, Christ Jesus. The fact that he openly and willingly calls us into this anointing should also humble us. I mean, mainly because we don't deserve it, do we? And we could never earn it. That's why it's also called grace. In the Old Testament, God's divine presence dwelt earthly in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. In the New Testament, the fullness of that type has now come to pass, and the presence of God dwells in the Holy, Holies, the Holy of Holies of our hearts. As we, ourselves, yes, you and me, become the temple of God. Paul's revelation of this is expressed throughout his letters, but never clearer than in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I think if most of us were being honest, we would probably answer no. We have no clue that we were made to be God's temple and that his Spirit longs to dwell within us, or at least we don't live with that kind of awareness And so I want to say this to us. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's not just a theoretical statement. It is a spiritual and practical reality for every believer, meaning it's not just for the talented or the gifted or the charismatic types. No, the anointing of God is for everyone. If you're taking notes, that would be a good one. Maybe you're watching today and you've never felt super gifted or talented. Maybe you don't even feel all that anointed, but can I encourage you? That's exactly what God says you are. If you've placed your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, then you have become his favorite dwelling place and his anointing now resides in you. The apostle John in his first epistle wrote about this individual anointing in 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. He says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. He goes even further in this teaching just a few verses later in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26-27. through 27, He says this, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Watch out for those types. Because the anointing which you have received from God abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him, meaning Jesus. The implications of this, I believe, are revolutionary. Every Christian or Christ follower has an anointing. It is the presence of the great helper, the spirit of truth himself, the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this anointing is to lead and instruct us in our relationship with Jesus, just as Jesus himself declared. The spirit would come to lead us and guide us in all truth. And boy, do we need that today. We need his anointing. We need his help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Friends, knowing this is so crucial for us to flourish. If we don't see ourselves as changed or empowered, but only as sinners saved by grace, then we're going to live far below or beneath our birthright. Of course, None of us have the spirit without measure like Jesus did, but each of us has a measure of what Jesus did. And friends, let me tell you, that's more than enough. Come on. This leads us to the second dimension of the anointing we need to understand today. The second dimension of the anointing we see in Scripture is a specific anointing that is distinct and personally unique to each person or member. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says it like this, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12, 3-6 says it like this, As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us, let us use them. This kind of anointing, or grace we could call it, is less about general confirmation and direction, and it's more about the specific person, him or herself. As we see here in Romans, certain graces and callings are given to each member to carry out the eternal purposes of God in the earth. A specific anointing is given to each person in direct Proportion to a specific calling. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so for example Think of someone who has a calling to live in a very difficult environment like a missionary Maybe they're able to endure real poverty and the lack of comfort that we typically enjoy here in the States Because they've been called and graced to do it. This would be a specific anointing. This would be uh, different than just a talent or just a natural gifting When it comes to specific anointings, there's something supernatural that people operate in and are able to do when God calls them to do it. This is what makes it, I think, specific. I know looking back at my own life and specific times throughout my life, I was often operating in a specific anointing or a specific grace that God had given me for that particular season or assignment. For many years, I was a children's pastor, and I worked with kids and young families, and I absolutely loved it. God taught me so much about what it means to love him like a child, and it's those life lessons that I really carry with me today. But I also remember when the grace to do that in the capacity that I was doing it in the everyday lifted It's almost as if there was no longer an anointing for it. Sure, I could still carry on in my own strength and power, but it wasn't the same thing. Well, in this same way, God will often anoint you for something specific, even for a specific amount of time or a season. And it's important that we recognize that anointing for what it is and not assume that it will always be that way. Doing so, I think, sometimes keeps us from following Jesus the way that he wants us to. And that's ultimately what will keep us from flourishing if we're not careful. That said, although our callings and our anointings may be different, we must be careful, hear me on this, not to think that some are more important than others, even though we might be tempted to glamorize worship leaders and preachers and missionaries. The truth is there are specific and unique anointings upon each and every believer's life. Paul actually cautions us against adopting this kind of attitude of comparison. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye and I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling come from? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he please, or pleases or pleased. <laughs> Friends, the point is this. Use the measure or gifts that you've been given. Walk in the anointing that belongs to you. Don't fuss over what other people are doing or what they have. Use the gifts that God has given you. You walk in his grace for your life. Amen? And the third and last dimension of the anointing that we see from Scripture is what we call the corporate anointing. While much is typically said and written about the first and second types of anointing that we've discussed, actually little is usually said about the corporate anointing. And like Pastor Lee points out in his book, I believe That this is a mystery that, once unlocked, will actually give us a greater understanding of the spiritual environment that is created for us to flourish in. And to do so when we come together as in the body of Christ. Do you know that God actually has favorites? (laughs) That might sound controversial, maybe even blasphemous, but it's true. God actually has favorites. He has a favorite place that he loves to dwell In Psalm 87, verses 1 through 3, we get a glimpse of this. Here's what it says. On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. When the scriptures speak of Zion, in general, they speak of the city of Jerusalem. But Zion is actually a specific sector of Jerusalem. It's a single hill just outside of the central city in the place David built his palace and called home. When David responded to the desire of his heart to bring the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence back to the center of Israel's culture and worship, he did not usher it back to Gibeah, where the tabernacle of Moses was still in existence, no. Instead, he brought it into Jerusalem and right to Zion, next to the place where his palace had been established. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1 says this, And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. David wanted God's presence not just to be central to Israel, but to be central to his home. And this is important for us. He actually built a tabernacle, meaning a tent, with just one wide open compartment, and he placed the ark inside of it. He appointed musicians to minister to the Lord around the clock, 24-7, prophesying and singing in the presence of God both night and day. Now, interestingly enough, this move violated every precept that God had given to Moses about how to meticulously build the tabernacle, care for the ark, and appoint the priesthood. But for some reason... God didn't seem to mind. In fact, he really, really liked it. He liked what David did. Once again, notice what the psalmist wrote. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all dwelling places of Jacob. Jacob is the other name that God uses to describe his covenant people Israel. And as new covenant believers, that's us, who have been grafted into the Israel of God, this is a reference and promise to us as well. Just like natural Israel, the people of God have many dwelling places. In the church, we would call them ministries, or missions, or outreaches, and social gatherings, and we love to produce these things. We love to study God's word, and we do so even in small groups. But, hear me on this, there is one environment, one single dwelling place of ours that that God loves more than the rest, a dwelling place that he is drawn to magnetically, and that is Zion. Zion is the place where all of God's people are intentionally gathered together to worship in unity, in spirit, in truth, with God's presence being the centerpiece. It is the corporate gathering place of the saints in expectant worship and adoration. It's this environment that God releases the corporate oil of anointing in greater measure, and he causes glorious things to be spoken out over the church. So Zion, in addition to it being a physical place, is also a way of describing the supernatural reality that takes place when the body of Christ, who is grafted into Israel, is assembled in one place and around one purpose and pursuit. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. In other words, there's a whole lot more going on when we gather and come together as the church than just singing a few songs and listening to a preacher like me preach. It's more than just sipping a somewhat mediocre coffee and hearing a few announcements. It's even more than just being an evangelistic tool or effort to get people to say yes to Jesus. It's so much more than that, friends. When we come together corporately, we are actually participating as God's gathered and redeemed people. As His spiritual Zion his favorite dwelling place upon the earth and we're doing so with all the saints and all the angels and those that have gone before us to be with Christ in heavenly places perhaps That's why Jesus spent so much time helping his disciples focus on his kingdom coming to earth Perhaps that's why he taught them to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven And perhaps that's why the enemy today hates the gathering of the church so much Perhaps that's why there's been an all-out assault against trying to close churches down right now. Maybe there's something greater at stake going on during this COVID-19 shutdown than maybe we've given real attention to. Maybe. And if the gathered church is now God's favorite dwelling place, how in fact does he dwell there? How does he do that? Well, in closing, I want to offer two answers. God dwells, number one, Upon our praise. And number two, within holy communion. Regarding the first one, our praise, David said it himself in Psalm 22, verse 3, but you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. The key word here is enthroned. The only person who sits on a throne is a king or a monarch. The throne that David described is not a physical throne, but it's a spiritual reality that is created by our physical praise by our worship and we believe this we believe that our corporate worship as the people of God creates a unique and dynamic environment in the spirit that can only be described as a throne the picture we see is that when God's people gather to sing and to worship the spiritual atmosphere is shifted so much so that the king of all kings the Lord Jesus himself enters into it it becomes the fulfillment of what Jesus taught when he said your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The second place that he loves to dwell is within Holy Communion. Several places in the New Testament make reference to this, it makes reference to remembering the Lord when we gather together as the church. The word remember here is a word that means more than just to recall or to rethink. It actually can be taken literally as reassembly or reconstruction. The central purpose of coming together as the body of Christ is to reconstruct ourselves around the center of Jesus and by extension, remember who we are as his people. Jesus did this when he gathered with his disciples on the last night before his passion and crucifixion. And he instituted what we like to now call the Lord's Supper, which is communion. It says this in Luke chapter 22, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, meaning the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus uses the physical symbol of the bread to illustrate his body as he breaks it. He's calling his followers to receive the bread and remember that at the cross, his body was broken into many pieces for our redemption. And the other side of the cross, On the other side of his resurrection, where death has now been defeated, we are called to regather and reassemble his body. This is what happens when we all come together at his table. We actually come together around the resurrected Christ. We are literally bringing the broken members of his body back together again. How awesome is that? And it's here that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it's here that he breathes his fresh anointing upon us. We see this happen at Pentecost. We believe as a church, that this can actually happen each and every day and every time that we gather together around communion, singing his praise and celebrating all that he's done. Friends, this is why it's so important that we not forsake gathering together. This is why the writer of Hebrews, the same person that was calling us to this spiritual Mount Zion, God's favorite dwelling place, Specifically says in chapter 10 and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do But encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near Can you see why this is such an important and powerful thing for us to do for you and I to walk? As those who are anointed to flourish in the earth. We need Jesus We need the anointing of his Holy Spirit and we need each other That's you and me and I believe that in the days ahead the church is going to look more like family again. It's going to be the people of God coming together around the table to remember him, to take communion and worship together so that he can be enthroned upon our praise the way that we are created to. It's going to be fathers, and mothers, and kids, and neighbors, and friends, and singles, and the poor, and the rich, and the marginalized, and the lost, and the prodigal, and widows, and orphans, and Jews, and Gentiles, blacks, and browns, and whites, Republicans, and Democrats, and many who are now far off. All coming together to reflect the glory of God and his kingdom upon the earth. Hallelujah. That's our heart and that's our desire for Courageous Church. Friends, God wants us to flourish. And this is how we're going to do that. Can I pray for you today? Maybe you've been watching and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to say yes to him right now. We don't ever want to end our time together without providing that specific opportunity. Maybe you're watching And at one time you followed Jesus and were connected to a church or a body. And maybe you used to gather with others routinely and regularly, but now you've become disconnected or cut off from the body. I mean, shoot, COVID-19 has kind of made that happen for many of us. I want to pray that God would strengthen you and reconnect you to his people. We also want to help with that for those of you that have never said yes to Jesus I want to first help you to pray this prayer with me and it goes like this Jesus Savior save me Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound I believe and confess that you are the Son of God the Messiah the anointed one I believe that you died on that cross for me and that your good good father raised you to life again on the third day I pray that you'd now come and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Anoint me and make all things new. And uh, we want to say amen. And for those that are watching that are feeling maybe just a little disconnected right now, I want to do this. I want to pray that Jesus would strengthen you with his power, that he would fill you with the breath of his Holy Spirit, that he would reconnect you to his body where you can flourish corporately again. I pray that you would sense and feel his magnetic draw right now upon your heart and that you would respond And follow him to where he wants to lead you once more. And we pray both of those things in Jesus' name. If you just prayed either of those prayers, we want to know about your decision. For those that said yes to Jesus for the first time, we want to say welcome to the family. And we'd love to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or at a great church wherever you're watching from. You can actually right now go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital connect card. This is a way for us as a team to come together to know how we can best follow up with you and pray for you and serve you in the days ahead. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey and taking some next steps. For those of you local ones, one of the best next steps that you can take is to jump into one of our watch parties at our website, CourageousChurch.com dot com slash watch parties we 've posted various links to different watch parties that you can be a part of as I said, God wants you to flourish with others as always. If Courageous Church is your home church, we want to remind you to be a generous giver. Your generosity allows us to reach many with the hope, healing, courage, and life of God. It allows us to advance God's good mission for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you want to be a part of what God's doing in a real and dynamic way to make a difference, you can use one of the links that we've posted right there in the comment section to give online, or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com slash giving. Finally, We've posted some links to some various upcoming public gatherings that we'll be doing all throughout the summer. If you're local, we'd love to see you at one of these. We'd love to connect with you and, and help you get plugged in. Our next Worship in the Park event is coming up Sunday, July 19th at 4 p.m. at Flatiron Mesa Park. We also have our next prayer night coming up this Tuesday, July 7th at 7 p.m. Further details are also available at our website. On behalf of Pastor Candice and our team, we want you to know that we love you. We are praying for you. As I always like to say, you are God's masterpiece. You are his best. So remember, be strong, be courageous, and we'll see you soon